The daily Bible reading is in the book of Matthew. Uh, you have the last chapter of the Song of Solomon this week. You have Psalm 119. And then you have the book of Isaiah. But as challenging it was to find a Mother's Day sermon in those daily Bible readings, there's one that fits very, very well. And it is the book of Isaiah. Here I have my hymn book open, and I should have my Bible open. It is the book of Isaiah, chapter 1. Chapter 1 introduces the whole book. You're going to find out an awful lot about the book of Isaiah by reading chapter 1, you see. But I want you to understand that this fits well with mothers. Some of the best encouragement you're going to find in the Bible. All right? It begins with the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of four kings, Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now, that's a long period of time. But the tragedy is that Isaiah doesn't have a whole lot to say because the nation has been on a downhill slide for years. And it has slidden down so far that the Bible says that God says through Isaiah, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. I want the whole world to understand the tragedy that has occurred to Israel. For the Lord has spoken, and here's what he says, I have nourished children and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. God is speaking. He is describing his relationship with the nation of Israel as a parent-child relationship. Our focus is on mothers, and I want you to think of this now as a mother's encouragement, because as Pastor Zach said earlier, what does Genesis 1 say? We are all created in the image of God, and in chapter 1, verse 27, I believe it is, when God talks about God creating man, he created us what? Both male and female. So God loves to use the characteristics of men to describe parenting skills, and he also likes to use the characteristics of women to describe parenting skills. Let me give you one quick example. If you have your Bible, turn to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul, in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, is describing his personal conduct when he came to share the gospel with the churches of Thessalonica. He wants them to know that he didn't come as a charlatan. He didn't come out of greed for money. He didn't come because they had a personal agenda. He didn't come with a bad attitude. He wanted everybody to know that he came because his conduct was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, I only want you to refer to two verses. I want you to go to verse 7. But we were what? Gentle among you. 
just as a what? Everybody together. A nursing mother cherishes her own children. So he uses the wonderful characteristic that we attribute to mothers in their being gentle and kind to their kids. At verse 11, however, what does he say there? As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, everybody together, as a father does his own children. All right, need I say more? Now let's go back to Isaiah chapter 1. Mothers, I want you to listen carefully to this. As a parent, God said, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Now that's a very pretty significant passage of Scripture, but I want to remind you before we go any further here, so that you don't have any shadow of doubt that God certainly has mothers and fathers both in mind when he talks about parenting. In verse 1, I said that Isaiah was writing to uh, writing during the period of, what, four kings. Four. Four. Now, if you want to, you can go back real quickly to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. I'm not a big one for flipping through the Bible much and getting you off of a passage of Scripture that we're already locked onto. But this is significant, I think. It's a simple observation. It's a simple observation that I think is really, really important. In 2 Chronicles chapter 26, are most of you who want to be there there? Just say yes or no. All right. Now, I want you to notice this. In chapter 26, regarding the first king, notice what it says. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned how many years in Jerusalem? 52 years. His mother's name was Jecoliah. When's the last time you talked to anybody about Jecoliah? Huh? Well, it's important enough for Isaiah to put it in, or for, for, the, for Ezra probably to put it into the Chronicles. Mother's name was Jecoliah of Jerusalem. I think it's an automatic commendation. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. And by the way, Amaziah is in chapter 25. We give his mother's name as well. Uh, and I bet you don't even know what her, his mother's name was. <laughs> but let's keep going. Go to chapter 25. Go to chapter 27, verse 1, the very next chapter over. Jotham was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha. And it even gives additional information to give you the family line. And he did what was what? Right in the sight of the Lord. We have two kings. We have two kings that are kind of they're mentioned, and then their mothers are mentioned, and their daddies are mentioned. And I think it's an automatic commendation. Now, go to the third one, chapter 28, verse 1. 
Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. Where's his mother's name there? All right, now listen, it's just a quick observation that you can see consistently in Scripture a commendation, you know, I, I think it's worthy for us to put mom's name here, you see. Now, you and I know, you and I know that uh, King Isaiah was not perfect, right? Later in life, he had some serious issues. And uh, you'll know, and I'm saying this to you because I find it interesting that God begins by giving the great characteristics about a king, and then often later in life, there's some kind of a defection or there's, there's a need to come back to the Lord, because uh, they lose their way at some point. But I want you to look finally at chapter 29.1. Chapter 29.1. Now chapter 29.1 is the fourth king that we have listed here. Um, and that is Hezekiah. And the Bible tells us that in chapter 29.1, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was what? There you go. There you go. And of course, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. Hey, no, he's one of the worst kings of Israel, of Judah. He goes back to his great, 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 great grandfather, all that David did. And was David perfect? No. Why do I bring this all to your attention? I bring it to your attention because here's God saying in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. These are the words of a perfect parent. Right? Nobody's going to sit here today and say God was a bad parent. Not a single one of you are going to say that. Because God is the perfect parent. And yet, he acknowledges that he has rebellious children. Now, I want you to note something. In one way, when we compare parenting, a God's parenting style with our human parenting styles, it's almost like we're trying to compare apples and oranges. So, in one respect, we're comparing apples and oranges. And the reason why we're comparing apples and oranges in one respect is because God is, as I said, perfect, and we as human parents are imperfect. But that doesn't change the fact that the Bible teaches that God is our ultimate role model as far as parenting is concerned. How many times in the New Testament are we told that we are to use God as our role model as spouses and as parents? But here's God saying, my kids have rebelled against me. How is that possible? See, the conclusion that we reach is that you can do everything right and still have problems with your kids. I don't know about you, but that's big encouragement. I, 
boy, I tell you what, when we were raising our kids, there were a lot of times I would say, oh, man, I didn't mess, I messed that up. Boy, I didn't do that right. Uh, but, you know, in our hearts, we were concerned of raising our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, you say. Imagine Solomon in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. In Solomon, Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We have been so concerned about that general principle that there are so many exceptions to the rule on that that we've tried to reinterpret the passage of Scripture to mean that, oh, you've got to figure out what your kid's skills are, and if you train them up in the skills that they were born with, then they'll, they'll stick with those skills the rest of their lives. That's how we tried to reinterpret that passage of Scripture, when in reality, Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. He should go in the way of the path of God, live righteously, live honoring the Lord, live with a relationship with the Lord, uh, be, uh, be a man or a woman of integrity when it comes to uh, life in general. Imagine Solomon writing that, or one of the others, there's a couple of other authors there, but just imagine them writing that. And then Solomon in Ecclesiastes writing and saying, you know, life is so meaningless. You want it to go this way and it goes that way. Life is so meaningless. You work so hard to get this accomplished and then it doesn't work out the way you want it to work out. Life is so meaningless. He could have easily put in there, parenting can be so meaningless because things don't work out the way you want them to work out. Right? Say amen if you understand that. I'm a little curious to see whether we're on the same page. All right. Now, we can examine parents' struggles. Parents, mothers specifically, are torn about whether they can work outside the home or work in the home. What kind of child care or daycare can we provide? Mothers are concerned about the scars that we get in all of these everyday battles that uh, we have when we're growing up and when we're older and we're out on our own and when we, we have families of our own. What are the scars going to do? How are they going to affect my kids? We worry about drugs. We worry about alcohol. We worry about sexuality. We worry about all of these things. And I was tempted today to bring a great book I have in my library. And I thought, you know, if I started to list these things, if I opened this book up and I, opened, and I started to list these things, we wouldn't have time for anything else. So I said, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do that. I, I, I agree with Solomon. And I think that's why it's so important that we do everything we possibly can as parents to provide for them the resources that are valuable in their, in their lives. And one of the first things, I mean, praying for your kids before they're born, dedicating your kids after they're born, raising them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, providing spiritual training in church and youth groups and all of that kind of stuff, children's ministries and all of that. I'm, I'm, I'm a strong believer because... Because I kind of look at it this way. I kind of look at it like Ezekiel did when Ezekiel said, um, and this is in chapter 18 of Ezekiel. Ezekiel says, you know, you guys, are using a, um, you guys are using a parable or you're using a famous statement. 
that the parents are out there eating sour grapes. And because the parents are eating sour grapes, the children's teeth are set on edge. Now you know what that means, right? That the parents are really responsible for what's happening to the kids. And then Elijah, for some reason, says, um, Ezekiel, for some reason, says, I don't want you using that phrase anymore. Well, what on earth has changed? You know, is life really more difficult for our kids now than it was years ago? Yes, it is. Those of us who've been through a childhood and adulthood know that. It's scary. Do our kids have more peer pressure out there than they seem to have ever had? We've always had peer pressure, but not like it is today. We have a society where we're being bombarded by the world in a way that our kids have never, never, never been bombarded. And because I've been a counselor for 42 years, I cringe for parents who don't maintain that spiritual, that spiritual nurture with their kids. I cringe. And many times I shake my head and I say, I know what's going to happen next. And it's going to be disastrous. So we need to give them all the advantages we can, you see. Because, you know, downfall comes in three ways. It comes through the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the power of the world today is huge. And when you combine it with the flesh and the devil, and what he does to tempt us, you and I need to do everything we can to make sure we bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But, that, but, but God says, listen, you can do everything right and still have problems with your kids. Not only do we deal with all of those struggles about whether our kids are going to get into drugs and whether they're going to get into the, the hedonism of the world and, and all of that stuff, but we worry about our own mistakes. Now, what kind of mistakes? Well, sometimes we're too busy with our, for our kids. Sometimes we overindulge them. We spoil them rotten. And that's as bad as uh, neglecting them. And uh, I could come up with a list of things that we make mistakes about. And I just want to remind you, God was not guilty of any single one of the mistakes that you and I could write on a list today. And yet, his children rebelled against him. He was never too busy. He was never too harsh. He was never over, over, overbearing or never over, uh, what do you call it, compensating or, or just uh, giving the kid, pampering the child and, and spoiling the child rotten. He was never any of these things. He was never guilty of making any mistake as a parent. And yet... His children rebelled against him. You want to talk about how different things are today as far as parenting is concerned? When I was a kid at Bullskin Township Elementary School. They didn't call it the academy back then. Like they do today. <laughs> there was another term. But anyway, my mother said to me that if you get a spanking at school, you're going to get another one when you get home. And if I get a call from your teacher that you've misbehaved, guess what? I'm going to pay attention to what she says and not you. 
Today, totally different, isn't it? I could ask those of you who are teachers, and I could ask those of you who are aides, and I could say, how is it different? Parents are blamed for everything, and teachers then are blamed for everything, right? Dr. Dobson said that. He said, you know, that it's always the parents' fault nowadays. And, of course, then we deflect that, and we project that fault onto the teachers. Well, don't set yourself up for blame. Don't do it. Don't set yourself up for blame. Are, are we perfect? No. Do we need to make corrections? Yes. But you can do everything right, and I'm saying this because you can do everything right, and you're still going to have problems with your kids. Because you and I don't control every minute of the day. We can't provide for them a heaven on earth. We have to send them out into the world. They're going to rub shoulders with people who are certainly going to influence them in the wrong way. And we need to just keep parenting, parenting, parenting. And parenting includes praying for them. It includes uh, maintaining the best kind of relationship you possibly can with them. Imagine your children, and, 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 and listen, God wants you to be a good example for them. If I had time, well, we have a little bit of time here, but I want, you, I want you to be aware of how bad this is in the book of Isaiah. After the Lord says, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me, he says, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel doesn't know me. Here's one of your first telltale signs that there's problems coming down the road. One of your first telltale signs right there. I, you know, there are farmers here in, in, in Wooddale. Do you know that? I don't know if you know, but there are farmers. Yeah, you, you all know this, those of you who grew up here. You know, farmers in Wooddale have, who have dozens and dozens of cows, and they got them all named. Right? They know them. And those cows know them. Oh, this cow's doing this because I've, uh, this is the way I've handled the situation with this particular cow. You see. But God says, you know, the ox knows its owner, the donkey knows its master, but Israel doesn't know who I am. And that should send a message to us that here you have a lot of ingratitude, and here you have a situation where parents need to try to leave the porch light on, and they need to try to, we need to try to maintain communication with the kids, regardless of what's happening with them. And then when you get into the next group of verses, it says, alas, sinful nation. This is a sinful nation. This nation is laden with iniquity. This is a brood of evil doers, a brood of evil doers. All right? Another farming term. Children who are corruptors. Boy, it's not even safe to let your kids play with them. Because <laughs> they're going to have your kids breaking windows and doing whatever. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the picture he's laying out there for us. And not only that, but in their relationship as a citizen, these things are all true, but as far as their relationship with God is concerned, they've forsaken the Lord, they provoked Him to anger, they won't listen to anybody, they insist on doing what they want to do, and they've turned away backwards. Instead of moving forward, these kids are moving backwards. And you and I know... That's a painful experience to watch. God seems to be talking like a human being would talk about this in verse 5. 
when he says, it's no use. I, I, I've paddled you so many times already, and it's done you no good. What good is it for me to paddle you again? You're just going to revolt more and more. Your whole head is sick. Your whole heart faints. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there's no soundness in you. You've got wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. And notice at the end of verse 6, I want you to see this, mothers specifically. You have injuries that have not been treated. Verse 6, they have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. Do you think that's because a mother doesn't want to do that? Do you think that's because God isn't offering to treat those injuries? No. Children want nothing to do with it. I'd rather bear my injuries than you close up the wounds and soothe with ointment. Then he gives the consequences for the nation of Israel. I'm not going to read the consequences. You can read them at your convenience. It's part of the daily Bible reading this week. Verses 7, 8, and 9, the consequences... And he finally says, you know, you guys are starting to look like, what two cities? Sodom and Gomorrah. You guys are starting to look like Sodom and Gomorrah. So I'm going to address you as if you are Sodomites and Gomorrahites. That's what he does. This is how bad it is. This is how Israel has slipped. Now, um, he says, "You, you, you sacrifice. It's not doing you any good. When you come to the court to worship me, you, you, you sit there and you, you stand there and worship and uh, everything looks okay, I suppose, to the people around you, but you're trampling my courts when you do all of this. So in verses 16, 17, and 18, and 19, here's what he says. He says in 16 and 17, wash, wash up, put away the evil, cease your doing evil, learn to do good, seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. And I see in this passage of Scripture here a God who, if we were giving him a human emotion, one of intense disappointment is what it would be. He implies that that's certainly the way it is with us. Yet, here's a God who is gracious. I had a couple one time many, many years ago. I would never get into the pulpit and use an illustration that you guys would be aware of unless I had asked someone for permission to do that. And this is a situation that nobody would be aware of in any way whatsoever. I don't want anybody ever to come in on Sunday morning and worry that I'm going to share a story that's so close to them. If it's close to you, it's close to you only because of coincidence. But I had a couple come to me one time that were so anxious to write off their kids. They tried to convince me in every way possible on what they could do to do it. We'll lock them out of the house. (laughs) We'll tell them, and all kinds of things. Got to write them off. And I just kept coming back and saying, you know, you, you don't, you want to leave the porch light on. If you lock them out of the house, let's leave the porch light on. But here's how gracious God is. Look at verses 18, 19, and 20. Let's read it together from the New King James. If you have a New King James, it'll be identical to what I'm reading. 
Everybody together. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Just be willing. Be obedient. And you'll eat the good of the land. And sadly, if not, and you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. That's what he says. I see so much grace in there, I find it amazing. I see so much grace in there, I find it incredible. I, st- I mentioned about Teddy Roosevelt, years and years, uh, who, who was trying to figure out who the best citizens of the nation were, and he come up with a list of people. I gave you the illustration of Isaiah 1.1, where there are mothers that are, are, com- they, they are complimented, really, because they are listed because uh, of, uh, of uh, the fact that those kids could rise up and call her blessed. There was a French writer years and years ago who said this. Now, I don't know much about French history. I loved history when I was in school. Nothing compared to American history. I mean, I just loved it. Then I had to have ancient history, and then I loved that because that's the Bible. But, oh, European history. Oh, I just couldn't stomach it. I couldn't stomach it. I, I, I know a little bit of it, but... I can't vouch for this author. He says, though, quote, of the 69 monarchs who have worn the French crown. So I I don't even know when he was writing. Of the 69 monarchs who have worn the French crown, uh, only three have really, really loved the people. And all three were reared by their mothers. Now, you know, in Europe, you have a lot of rearing by nannies and tutors and teachers, pedagogues, gogs, not gogues, I'm sorry. I I, I don't mean to, pedagogy is the word for teaching, right? And so, uh, this writer uses that term. You have a lot of people who were hired to come in and teach the kids. Only three, he says. St. Louis, or St. Louis, St. Louis, and gives his mother's name. Louis XII, and gives his mother's name. And Henry IV, and gives his mother's name. Your homework assignment is to find out who these mothers are. Okay. Listen, grace, grace, grace. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. I pulled some, you know, we were talking about old hymns. We were talking about old hymns. How many remember the old hymn, My Mother's Prayers? How many remember that? You remember that hymn? I brought the hymn books that they were in because they're so rare, it's almost impossible to find these hymns anymore. And had I not collected 50-some hymn books years ago, I wouldn't have them to this day. My mother's Bible. How many remember that one? There's a dear and precious book, though it's worn and faded now, which recalls those happy days of long ago. My mother's prayers. I grieved my Lord from day to day. I've scorned His love so full and free. And though I wandered far away, my mother's prayers have followed me. And what a testimony what a testimony, I'm coming home. 
I'm coming home. For mother's prayers have followed me. Now, he does the same thing with the Bible. And then here's another one here that I didn't really remember, but it's in an old book that my dad used to, used to sit at the piano and we would sing. Um, and uh, out of that book was this one called Memories of Mother. My mother's hand is on my brow. Her gentle voice is pleading now. Across the years so marred by sin, what memories of love still in. All of these songs deal with sin, struggles, problems, but deal with the wonderful grace of moms who never write off their kids, who continually pray for them and influence them in the best way they possibly can in hopes that God will bring their prodigals back. Remember, you can do everything right and still have problems with your kids. Be encouraged, moms. Heavenly Father, we wish we could say that every mother leaving here today knows you personally, has had her sins forgiven, and wants that to be true of all of her children. Lord, we fathers feel the same way. But Lord, I know that Sometimes we struggle for years often to figure out why the gospel is so important to us. Remind us as we walk through those doors. Remind us that we're either going to stand before you begging and pleading for you to forgive us from every bad thing we've done because we think that we weren't so bad after all. When you have told us that every sin needs to be forgiven not by what you have done but by what Christ has done. And so, Father, we ask in your precious name that you remind us of that so that we will, with renewed strength, attend to all of the prodigals out there. So that we, with renewed strength, will raise our kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord as you've described it for us in the book of Ephesians. Jesus, in your most precious and holy name, we ask this. And now may your grace, mercy, and peace rest and abide with us till we meet again in Jesus' name. Amen.